What's going on? Welcome to the People's Show. Coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Text into the show as well, 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Dunbar Lumber, three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street. Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Tuesdays, love a Tuesday show. Yannick Hansen coming up here in about a half hour. Mark Schofield will join us in just a moment. We are packed today, so we got to get things uh, to it pretty quickly here. Uh, Dom behind the glass, Elon, intern Maddie running the board as well. Uh, full house uh, here on the People's Show. Uh, we're, again, we're jam packed. We got Bix Best as well coming up today. So, so let's get to it right away. Uh, let's get to our good friend from SB Nation, NFL writer. Been chatting to him for years. Chance for us to get smarter here on uh, Tuesdays. Uh, it's our good friend Mark Schofield. Mark, how are you? I am doing well, Bick. It is great to be back with you. We had a week off. Uh, yeah. Had some Canucks coverage last Tuesday. Understandable, but now we're back. Absolutely. We talking about the upcoming slate of games for for this week, and it's going to be an interesting one. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll look at or look back in just a second. But this weekend, oh my goodness, the primetime slate. We, I was just, I was just thinking, like we're at the stage of the season now. I felt like yesterday was was probably the best weekend that we've had in some time here, probably about a month. And then I was like, all right, excited for week eight. And then you look ahead: Raiders, Lions on Monday night, Bears, Chargers Sunday night, Bucks, Bills on Thursday night. Hard to get excited right now about the primetime games. Yeah, it's it's a rough. Prime time slate. As I was telling you at SB Nation, I think we're going to pull together what we call, we like to do sometimes what we call service pieces, service blogs, where we help the people. Right. And I think we're going to pull together a service blog of like X number of things you can do on Sunday night instead of watching Bears Chargers. Because I can understand why the schedule makers back in, say, the spring when they were putting the schedule together thought, hey, you know, if we get adjusted fields year three leap, if the Chargers live up to our hopes and dreams and expectations. This could be a fun game. Well, Justin Fields is hurt, so we're going to get Tyson Bajan, um, you know, Division Two quarterback. We're going to get whatever the Chargers are right now, which is in part a hurt, injured Justin Herbert, who seems to be struggling a little bit. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think there's a World Series game someday that people might want to watch. Um <laughs> You know, now that the writer's strike is over, I think some shows are coming back. We might get Simpsons. I don't know if we're already in Treehouse of Horror territory, but there might be some better things to do Sunday than watch that game. Go trick-or-treating a day earlier instead of on Monday night or something like that uh, with Raiders yeah. and Lions as well. Yeah, I mean, Raiders, Lions. I mean, Lions are still fun. You know, uh, yeah. they're still a good football team. What happened against Baltimore aside, but... The Raiders do not seem like they're in a good place. They just lost to the aforementioned Tyson Bajans and the Chicago Bears. Like, when you're dropping games to the Bears, you're not in a good place here in, you know, 2023. So, um, yeah, you know, it, it, Monday night, if you got a chance to go out, do something different, trick-or-treat a night early, you know, maybe give your trick-or-treating route a dry run, for example, <laughs> like, you know, put the map together of houses. Like Pre-game planning, it's important. Yeah, I mean, you know the houses that have the good decorations, you're going to want to go there. I mean, so sketch out the route, like make sure you've got like a backup pillowcase just in case. Like, like go through the planet 
and prep for Halloween and trick-or-treating rather than watching that game. Uh, all right, let's go through week seven. We always like to start it off with uh, what impressed you the most, uh, the throw of the week from week seven. Where's it coming from? Yeah, it's interesting. There are a couple of throws to choose from. I was I, I was spinning through, again, sort of the list that I put together of, of throws that really impressed me. Lamar Jackson was fantastic. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, there's not really one throw from Lamar that I would point to and say, yeah, you know, this was, this was the best. It was just more sort of an overall performance for me. The throw of the week in my mind, Geno Smith's touchdown to JSN. Oh, okay. And it, it doesn't – like, it's not a throw because – JSN's wide open, and so it's not one of these, oh, he threads the needle, he puts it in a shoebox. It's the anticipation on it, because they're running this sort of scissors concept where JSN is on the outside. He's running the deep, the big post. Inside slot receivers running the deep corner, so they're crossing that scissors concept. And they get sort of a quarter, quarter, half, so it's cover four to that side, which basically you know turns into man-to-man. Cover four becomes cover you know one, cover zero pretty quickly. They've got it. They switch their routes. The defensive backs kind of get caught up and they both jump the corner route. So it's a bit of a bust, but it doesn't matter because the ball is already on JSN by the time they bust. Because Smith sees this come together. He's so ahead of it with his mind. He knows they're in cover four. I know how they're going to play this. I know that post route is going to be open. That the ball is already on its way before the bust really happens. It's just a great example of a quarterback understanding what he's seeing, understanding the coverage, the concept, how it ties together, being ahead of something with his mind. I thought it was an absolutely great read, great throw, a fantastic example of something that we talk about almost every Tuesday, which is anticipation mm-hmm. as a quarterback. This is a great example of it. That's why I love these chats because it, it's it's something that uh, – a trait that, that you can't see visually. And, and when you said Geno Smith, a throw, I was like, oh, the one to Noah Fant. And because, like, that's the one that's going viral. It was over the linebacker's head that was not looking, and it's, like, perfectly placed. And I thought, okay, that's the one. Because it's easy for people to see, hey, look at the ball placement on this one. It's in a tight window. Uh, but what's funny about that play is JSN's also running wide open as well. Yeah, it's like, and I saw it. Did you see that somebody called Geno out on that? Yeah. On social media, and they said, yeah, JSN's wide open. But he just got to brush them off on Twitter. It's probably hilarious. That's because, and this is that plays a great example of screenshot scouting and yeah. something else we talk about, right? Where you can take a snapshot of 22 players running at full speed on a football field and say, "This is what should happen." The first read is Noah Fant on that, working into your line of sight rather than away from it. Now, yes, JSN is open and he's wide open, but so is Noah Fant, and that's his first read and. You know, this is why I always say, you know, when people are like, you know, what would you, what could you do? What would you want to see happen for people to sort of understand quarterback play better? Bring back the Madden passing code. Like, we've had this conversation. Right. Like, bring back the passing cone so you can see that, like, it's one thing when you've got this replay angle of a play and you're like, oh, this guy's wide open. If your eyes aren't supposed to be there because your first read in the progression is open and that's where you're going to go with it, you're not going to be able to, like, suddenly come off of that and, and make a throw. What happens in this sort of example if Smith looks at that, looks at Fant, and he's like, yeah, that's open, but I want to check JSN, and he gets his eyes there, and that safety had stayed home. Now what happens? Right. The other safety breaks down on Noah Fant. There's no window to hit that completion, and now you're you know, checking it down or throwing it away. That first read is there. That's where the ball is going to go. I actually really want to talk about this play because – 
I, I think a lot of people would say, well, he's not open. There's a linebacker coming in there. I, I want you to explain this from, from a quarterback's vantage point. When the linebacker's turned around and you see the numbers, do you factor that guy in at all or say, hey, I can put it over top of him because he doesn't know the ball is no, coming? And, and, and Quincy Avery, there was a play a season or two ago where Lamar made a similar type of read and throw. And Quincy Avery, who's a quarterback coach who coaches quarterbacks, you know, private quarterback coach, and does a great job of it. Coaches Geno, I believe. Term, yeah, and he had a great term for that defender. Because what we're talking about on this play and on single plays is that middle-of-the-field linebacker in that two-deep coverage whose job is to help the safeties over the middle, right? Because if you have those two-deep safeties, one of the soft spots is right over the middle. That's where you want to attack as an offense. So defenses run what we call Tampa 2, which is that two-deep coverage with that linebacker get in depth and help it in the middle of the field. And usually when you see a receiver release to the middle of the field, whether it's you know a tight end running right to that spot vertically or somebody crossing into that area, they're responsible to help on that. And what they will do is they'll basically turn their back to the quarterback to run with that route. And what Quincy Avery called that player in this coverage scheme, he called him a monument defender. It's like a statue. And if you see their back, if you see the back of their helmet and they're running away from you, throw it right over their head. Throw it anywhere near them, just outside of the like shoulder pads and helmet area because they can't see the ball. If they stop to turn back and pick up the ball, they're going to you know, give up three or four or five yards of separation in an instant. They can only defend the frame of their body. So on those plays, like this one to Noah Fant, Gio Smith said, I just got to get it over his helmet because he's not going to be able to stop, turn around, locate the ball. And if he does, Noah's going to be eight yards downfield by the time I release it. And so as a quarterback on these sort of Tampa two cover two moments, when you've got that defender, that linebacker, who's sort of retreating and get in depth and has his back to you like like we see here, you really don't factor that in. You just got to get the ball outside of the frame of their body and they're open. Actually, let's just stay on Geno Smith because there's something else I want to talk about because we're talking about anticipation and good decision-making. You would assume all these things translate to the red zone. When you watch the Seattle Seahawks right now, what's happening in the red zone and why can't they finish drives? What's happening in the red zone is what's happening league-wide. I mean, I can't tell you how many shows I go on, you know, mm-hmm. Dallas, Buffalo, uh, New England. We chat about this in week two. Like we, we, like, yeah, we, we were did. concerned about this early. And and it's continuing across the league. And there's, you know, Nate Tice, who does such a great job covering the sport for the Athletic and Yahoo, he was talking about that recently. And it's almost as if we are seeing the full return to that bend but don't break mentality. You know, that used to be the sort of focus on defenses years ago. It seemed like it sort of went away. But now as we've gotten into this, you know, cover two, cover four, cover six, quarter, quarter, half, you know, eliminated big plays, that's step one. But then figure out, down in the red zone, how to play assignment-sound defensive football. Because as an offense, when you get down to the red zone, you're thinking rub concepts, switch concepts, creating a little bit of traffic, you know, to get some separation. And what I'm seeing, not just against Seattle Seahawks, but against most offenses in the red zone now, defenses are so much more disciplined against those plays. Now, you try rubs, you try switches, you try switch releases, whatever you can do to sort of get some traffic and separation as a result of, you know, alignment, route path, and things like that. 
and that separation isn't there anymore. Those rubs aren't working the way they used to. Defenses have really sort of nailed down responsibilities down in the red zone. And Seattle is seeing that. Dallas is seeing it. Every team, Philadelphia, they were third in the league last year in red zone touchdown percentage. They're near the bottom of the league right now. And, again, when you go to some of the concepts that these teams dial up, you know, brotherly shove, tush, push aside mm-hmm. when they're going, you know, passing concepts or RPO concepts, defenses are ready. They're much more disciplined against the concepts that teams want to use down in the red zone. And I think that's a big reason why Seattle's scuffling a little bit in the red zone and why other teams are scuffling a little bit in the red zone because defenses are that much more assignment sounded now against the concepts teams want to use down in the red area. All right, so it's not uh, Seattle singularly, so I can uh, breathe a sigh of relief uh, on on Sundays now. Seahawks fans, breathe a sigh of relief. <laughs> it's 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 happening. It you know you want to get better at it, obviously. Of but course, this is happening league wide. Uh, so I started the show yesterday talking about uh, you know we've always needed evidence to to prove to prove our theories and for years uh, we've we've said hey Lamar can win from the pocket trust us Lamar can win from the pocket he's he's a good player in the pocket and th- there ha- there hasn't been enough evidence so th- there's been nice stats but the moments in in playoffs and in big games it hasn't necessarily materialized yesterday or sorry, rather Sunday to me was the game of hey finally. Everyone that's been a Lamar truther finally gets to sit back and say, see, we told you. And you mentioned, hey, like the overall game. I, I thought the, the throw from the goal line was going to be the one that you said, hey, that's the throw of the week. Uh, but just in general, I felt like that was finally the, the Lamar, I've made it to this final tier conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And my, my dear friend and colleague, uh, J.P. Acosta, wrote today that like Lamar Jackson is playing like the MVP. And you've had... Other people, I believe Brian Baldinger came out, you know, after rewatching that game against Detroit, basically saying, like, yeah, he's he's playing better than everybody else right now at the quarterback position, and it's going to be hard to beat Baltimore in what he's doing that. And, again, like you said, it was from the pocket. I mean, the goal line touchdown pass to Aguilar where, you know, what you love to see about that play is that we talked about this recently, that fight or flight, right? Where mm-hmm. he's initially fighting inside the tackle box before he gets outside of the extent. You know, that's a, a Lamar Jackson one-on-one moment, which, you know, not too many other quarterbacks can deliver. But it was that initial willingness to fight in the pocket that was critical. But what really stood out to me was more plays like that from the pocket. One of my favorite plays from Lamar in this game, you know, came, I I think, midway through the first quarter. It's a second 11. They're going to a a front side concept on the left side of the field, the three-level concept, and it's not there. So he gets his eyes to the backside, curl and throws it on time in rhythm, and it's great. But then you rewatch it and you see the pocket movement where it's just those subtle little steps in the pocket. It's not big. It's not loud not dynamic it's that subtle little pocket movement that for years people as you sort of alluded to said oh he he doesn't play for the pocket like that that's not who he is he's going to run around he's he's going to do the things like he did on the nelson aguilar play where he's running around no this was a quarterback making a throw from the pocket if you had sort of like stripped away the color you know the no purple jersey or anything like that stripped away the number so you don't see the number eight and you said, oh, this is Tom Brady making a play from the pocket, you might buy it because that's what it looked like. It looked like a vintage sort of Brady wow. getting to his fourth read in the progression, creating a little space with his feet and making a throw. That's where Lamar has been for a while. And people 
the Lamar truthers like you and me that have been in his corner for a long time and said, look, this is the stuff that he can do. And people might see it in one play or in bits and spurts and say, yeah, maybe, but more often than not, he's running around and, and creating with his legs. This was that sort of closing argument of a game where it's like, no, I told you all, dating back to my days at Louisville, I was going to be a pocket passer. Here I am. Um, Last night, uh, you know, Kirk Cousins, you know, he, he's he's kind of that perfect bridge between like, hey, th- these are the QBs you want, and and these are the QBs you got to move off of, and and he's, he's stuck always stuck in that middle. And I actually felt really good for Kirk Cousins yesterday. Like there was a couple of uh, tough ones, and and maybe the the Forty Nine ers should have gotten more picks than they did, but doing it without Justin Jefferson, they've won two weeks in a row now, and against that defense on Monday night, it just felt like kind of a, a, a cleansing moment for Kirk Cousins. Yeah, I mean, and you almost get that sense watching him after the game that this is a bit cathartic for him. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, sort of the knock on Cousins is, oh, primetime game, you're not going to get the best out of Kirk Cousins. Oh, against a good defense like this Niners defense, you're not going to get the best out of Kirk Cousins. You saw perhaps Cousins, and again, you know, the Addison touchdown late in the first half, maybe that's an interception nine times out of ten. But on Monday night, it wasn't. You know, he got a couple breaks that go his way. You know, the brilliant Arif Hassan had a great piece on his sub stack about that. This was a night where they got some breaks. But you also see pocket management, good decision-making for the most part, you know, solid, effective quarterback play. I, I love your description of him as, like, the bridge between, yeah, these are the guys that you're going to give this, this six-year fully guaranteed deal to. And, okay, maybe these are the guys we might want to move. He's like that, like you said, that bridge between those two tiers of quarterbacks. But – He's still a very good quarterback. And I think what's really interesting when you start thinking about the Vikings going forward, they did this without Jefferson. They lost to Addison at the end of the game, but now they're creeping back close towards 500. They've got a somewhat favorable schedule down the stretch. You look around the rest of the NFC, they could make a run here. Maybe not win in the division. Detroit's pretty far ahead in that category, but get themselves into the playoffs and you get a quarterback with some playoff experience that – as we saw on Monday night, can make some big throws, can beat a defense like San Francisco, they could be a fun team to watch down the stretch. Oh, man, this was uh, fantastic. There, there, there's so many things I, I wanted to touch on that we didn't really get a chance to. You know, Jordan Love, Tua, Herbert, and everything. We're getting to the really interesting part of the season, Mark. Uh, so uh, let's continue to look ahead. Uh, what are you looking for at Week 8 uh, as far as a QB matchup? I know it, it won't be a primetime game, so it'll be something on, on Sunday people can look forward to. Yeah, it's not going to be a prime time game because we sort of covered those. I, I, I think the late afternoon window, Cincinnati at San Francisco. Yeah. I, I think this is going to be a fun game for a couple of reasons. Now we've got two straight losses for San Francisco, right? Like a couple of weeks ago, it was like, wow, I mean, this, this game for the Cincinnati, this could be them coming out of the bye and just having their season come to an end here. Now it's like, which team needs to win more? I mean, which team really needs to sort of right the ship in, in the Niners or the Bengals to come out of the bye and say, yep, yep, we're back. You know, we got Burrow healthy again. We're coming out resting out of the bye. We're going to make a run here at the AFC North. And, you know, you've got two fascinating quarterbacks to study. Obviously, Burrow has had so much success in his, year, his years in the NFL. But then there's Brock Purdy, who's now coming off two straight losses. Got people, you know, wondering, okay, you know, this is what we were telling you. When the going gets tough, he's not going to be able to – Raise the level of playing the team around. So I think that is probably the quarterback I'm looking for ahead to the most. We'll break that one down next week. Uh, Mark, uh, you're the best, man. We'll uh, talk soon. Thanks so much, Mick. Have a great week. Enjoy the games.
That's our good friend Mark Schofield. Go follow him on socials at Mark Schofield from SB Nation. Uh, does great work on the NFL and also F1 as that season uh, starts to wind down as well. All right, let's get to it on Tuesdays. We power rank the team's picks best from 10 down to number one. Again, we're trying to reject who the best teams are. Not uh, It's not a records read here. It's uh, who's the best moving forward. So I'm going to make a bit of a projection at number 10. I'm buying a little Jacksonville Jaguars stock here at number 10. As the season goes along, is Trevor Lawrence going to get stronger? I believe so. And you know, that they, they started well against the Saints, didn't finish well, but it's improving. They got a bye coming up here pretty soon. I think after the bye, this is going to be a really strong team. Uh, right now, coming at number 10, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Number 9, the Cincinnati Bengals. I know they're on bye week, but I think that some teams kind of slid out of the top 10. They start to creep back in here. Bengals, it's going to be interesting to see them coming out of the bye, as we were just talking about with Mark, against San Francisco here. This is going to be a big st step up for them. If they win this one and they're back fully, Joe Burrow's calf, that defense, then this is going to be a team that's going to be pushing towards the top five. Moving to number eight, the Lions move up in class and they get knocked back down. That loss to the Ravens, as we are talking about yesterday, that's not a good loss. The way they, yes, it's a good team you lost to, but they got beat up right now. Uh, so I got them at eight. This is where it starts to get controversial for me. The Bills at seven. The reason they're at seven, the two teams that are ahead of them are going to be the Seahawks and the Dolphins. I think the Dolphins have a higher ceiling than the Bills have. And the Bills also just have a lower floor with all the injuries they have defensively. I'm, I'm starting to teeter on the Bills, and I just think the Seahawks are a bit more consistent than the Buffalo Bills. So the Bills stay at the seven here. Seahawks at six. Not a great win, but they kind of hold firm where they are at. And the Dolphins, yeah, it's a loss. They slide a little bit. I think that's a better loss than what we saw the Lions go through with the Ravens. So right now the Dolphins, I, I'm going to hold true here. But then there's a gap that opens up in these final four teams. They're all very close. So 49ers fans, don't get mad that I have the 49ers at four. It is razor thin between the 49ers and the, and the number one team. Ravens come in at number three. That's, that's a send a message type win. And you enter in the true contender tier all of a sudden here. And the final two, we're right back to where we started. Super Bowl, Eagles at number two, Chiefs at number one. We go through all these weeks, seven weeks, and we're right back to where we started. Uh, Jaguars, Bengals, Lions, Bills, Seahawks, Dolphins, 49ers, Ravens, Eagles, Chiefs at week eight. That's Vic's best. More on the way here. Yannick Hansen coming up here on The People Show.